Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join our special guest, Pastor Mike Kai from Inspire Church in Hawaii, for his message. Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, don't you just love Ben's sense of humor? Uh, he's just the best. Uh, really quick, really awesome. I'm so uh, honored and thankful to be here. My name is Mike Kai. I come all the way from Honolulu, Hawaii. So blessed to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this date. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this date since uh, Pastor Wayne asked me to come to Desert Springs. He'd been talking about it for some time, not just me coming here, but how excited he was about uh, the prospect of Desert Life Church becoming a part of what Hope Center was being uh, called to do in all of Australia. Uh, I love Australia. This is not my first time. I've been here several times before. I love this great country. I think your country is absolutely amazing. Uh, it's far and away one of the greatest countries in the world. And uh, to be here amongst the Red Center and uh, uh, in desert, this Springs place, uh, Alice Springs, to me, is absolutely the privilege and honor, honestly, of, of my life to be here today in Jesus' name. Are you excited to be here? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Uh, before I get started, I want to say thank you to Pastor Wayne for inviting me. I, I really appreciate you very, very much. You know how much Lisa and I hold you and Lynn dear to our hearts. Thank you. That Who knew that uh, I saw him at Hillsong Conference about eight years ago. I heard about him. I saw him, and we shook hands and kept seeing him every now and then. He would always say, Wayne Alcorn, friend of sinners. I said, Mike Kai, friend of Wayne Alcorn. And uh, before you know it, Lynn was saying, what's up with this Hawaii guy, you and Mike? What's going on? He goes, I don't know. Well, I can tell you this. Thank God for godly partnerships and friendships that he brings into your life. Uh, I know that our life is so much richer and so much fuller as a result for Pastor Wayne and Pastor Lynn being in mine and Lisa's life. I'm excited to be here. Uh, before I get started, let me give you a little bit of background about myself. Uh, I started the church uh, called Inspire Church uh, 16 years ago. We took over a church. We took over a church of 40 people that had five pastors in 13 years. Crazy. Uh, I don't know why my pastor sent me. I thought he loved me. He sent me there. I said, I thought you loved me. And uh, he said, no, Mike, I think this is a great opportunity for you. And here we are today, several, a lot of people, and here we are. And I'm very, very honored to do what God called me to do. Before I do that, I want to show you a picture of my family. So give you a little bit of context. Can I get the picture of my family up on the screen? There is my beautiful wife, Lisa. Uh, my wife, Lisa, she is just the most amazing woman that I thank God for her. We've been married for almost 25 years, everybody. 25 years. <laughs> And can I tell you, it's been the t- best 25 years of Lisa's life. Just want you to know that. The best, I've been, yeah, anyway, the best year. And then over here up on the screen is my mom and dad. It's John and Esther Kai. Um, my mom, of course, with the lay and my dad in the middle. That was their 50th wedding anniversary. All of the kids, all of the grandkids, all together on that beautiful beach. Anybody ever been to a beach uh, before? Been to a beach? Been to a beach? All right, all right. So beautiful in Hawaii. Absolutely amazing. So that's my dad. My dad is Hawaiian, Chinese, Norwegian, Scottish, Cherokee Indian. He is so mixed up, it's not even funny, okay? And then my mom, my mom's half Filipino, half Italian. How weird is that? You know how that happens? World War II. That's how that happened. (laughs) World War II. Filipino nurse meets Italian soldier. The rest is history. Anyway, that's my family. Are you ready for the word today? Awesome. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings, uh, actually, uh, uh, Judges Judges chapter 6 this morning. Judges the 6th chapter. And I'm excited to be talking about qualified, qualified, that you are qualified. I, I love it because I often felt in my life that I was never qualified for a lot of things. Never felt like I was qualified for the ministry. Never felt like I was qualified uh, for uh, certain achievements and certain levels. I thought that I had pre-qualified myself in life. You know what I'm talking about? I said, this is where I belong. This is my lot in life. This is, this is my lane. This is as big as my world gets. I always 
pre-qualified myself. But I want you to know that God qualifies you. I love that video. It says God doesn't call the qualified. He, call, he qualifies the called. And God will qualify you when God calls you. And every man in this place is called by God to do something amazing and to do something great. I hope you believe it. Before we start, I would want to open up with a word of prayer. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the privilege and honor of being here. Lord, I pray that you help me to preach. God, I pray that you help us to lean in and to listen. That we would hear your, boy, your voice above all other voices. And Father, that we would sense your presence in this place. Lord, that you would hear our cry, that we would hear your voice, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the men of this church. Lord, I pray that you begin to do things like you've never done them before in our lives. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Qualification. What I love about qualification is, or being qualified, I really believe that this chapter in this Bible, right here in, first King, in Judges chapter 6, has a lot to do with God calling someone who never felt that they were qualified. For instance, God calls Moses from the backside of a desert. Never seen the front side, but I have seen the backside of a desert. And God calls Moses from the backside of a desert after a 40-year hiatus. And God calls him when Moses thought he was never qualified. He said, God, I can't speak. God calls the qualified. I really believe, uh, uh, the unqualified. I really believe that in, in our day and age, we often second guess what God is doing in our lives. Gideon is no different from that. Gideon is a young man. He is doing things that he needed to do in order to survive. And the Bible tells us that during that time, it was a region or a time in that, in that region where it said in those days, Israel had no king. And as a result of having no king, everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. So it was basically build your own God kind of time. And they would, they would Mr. Potato Head God, he would put the, put the ear here. And if I don't like where the ear is, I'll put the ear where the nose belongs. And so we kind of create our own God. It's called syncretism. And during that time, Israel had turned their backs away from God. And they were practicing this syncretism. They were taking a little bit of Baal. They were t- taking a little bit of Ashtoreth. They were taking a little bit of Molech. And they were t- taking a whole lot of Yahweh. And they were mixing God together and coming up with their own God, so to speak. As a result of that, the Bible tells us because there was no king in Israel, because everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes, there was their own justice, they called their own shots, God decided that he would, he would do what he told him he would do. He would bring, he would, he would bring a, a curse upon the nation. So we would go through this period of judges. I know you know this, but I just want to bring us all up to speed. And during this period of judges, what began to happen was God would bring in a deliverer, and they would say, oh, thank you, God, and they would turn back to him, and they would begin this vicious cycle during the period of judges, of, of repentance. They'd cry out to God. God would send a deliverer. He'd raise up a deliverer. It would be in the form of a man. It could also be a woman. During that time, God used Deborah, a judge. God used a woman named Yael during that time. But God also used a man named Samson, and God is about to use a man named Gideon. The people cry out to God. God sends the deliverer, as I said, and then God sends the deliverer, and then peace would happen, and then they would repeat the cycle all over again. And here's where we find ourselves in the text, in Judges chapter 6. The Bible tells us in verse 1, that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Seven years. That's a long time. In the Bible, it doesn't seem like a long time, but when you read it, for seven years, this is when the Midianites began to oppress them. The Midianites, if you remember this, were the, were the cousins of the, of, of the Israelites. These were Jethro's uh, descendants, uh, Moses' descendants from his wife Keturah. And the Bible tells us in verse 2 that the Midianites, listen to this, were so cruel 
that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So they would go to the mountains and they would hide in the mountains. And in verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkey. Do you guys have the scripture by any chance? Are you going to put up? Because I gave it to you. This is what it says. It says that the, um, the Israelites, nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. Now, I want you to pause here for a moment. Look at everything that's going on. Uh, they would plant their crops. As soon as they would plant it, harvest time would come, and the marauders from Amalek, the east, and Midian would come, and they'd take away all their crops. They would take all of their sheep, their livestock, all of their donkeys. So no beast of burdens and no crops, everybody. That's reducing them to starvation. The Bible says in verse 5 that these enemy hordes coming with livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. How amazing. Is the enemy. The only way, anytime the enemy can come and reduce you to starvation, reduce you to nothing. Start the clock, please. Reduce you to a place where you have nothing left, but not even your dignity. You have nothing left. This is exactly where we find Israel in the text. The Bible says in verse 6, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. The Bible begins to tell us, I'm not going to read it, that God begins to send a deliverer. He sends a prophet before he sends a deliverer. And the prophet basically says, I told you so. And he walks out. He drops the mic and walks out of the room. That's basically what begins to happen. Then we pick it up in verse 11. And this is our main text. In verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to the Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. I want you to look at this for example. So now you've got Gideon. He is threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, here is this young man. He's doing what he needs to do. There is no grain in Israel. They're, they're hard to find. There are no crops. There's not, not a lot to eat. But so what he does is he is threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. And the angel of the Lord, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, you know that. That's a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ showing up in the middle of his mess. God sends the angel of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is there. And you can see Gideon threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. The bottom of the wine press. Now, the last time I checked, wine presses were made for wine. You following me? And, and, and so you would, you would get all your grapes and then you would throw your grapes into the wine press and someone would roll up their, their pants and, uh, or, or, or whatever they were wearing, their tunic, and they would begin to crush the grapes. It was a great time of grape crushing. It was a time of celebration because you knew that you had a harvest and therefore you would have wine. Wine was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Wine was a symbol of God's blessing over the nation of Israel. So it would be a very celebratory time to be crushing, crushing grapes at the bottom of a wine press but that's not happening here's the picture of the wine press i want them to put up for you this is the picture of a wine press in the ancient world this is what they look like we found some in israel that were maybe about knee high they were most common but every now and then you would find one that was about five or six feet deep and these are normally near the vineyards and you could see that a man like gideon could be threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press can i show you the medieval period one the one during the medieval times that's what that one looked like right and uh, we could imagine friar tuck being inside of there and, 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 and smashing some grapes in that thing. But anyway, he was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. There's something wrong with this picture. You know, when you would thresh wheat, 
What you would actually do is you would take a winnowing fork and you would find a hill where there would be a breeze. And so a breeze would begin to blow. And so what you would do, you just take the winnowing fork and you would throw the wheat in the air. And you would wave it like you just don't care. Somebody say, oh yeah. yeah. Come on, some of you children of the 80s, some of you too old for that. I know, I understand. But you know what I'm talking about. You would throw the wheat and the wind would grab the chaff and it would blow it away. All the rubbish would blow away. And all the kernels would drop to the ground. You would take the kernels and you begin to mill it. You would begin to grind it and then you would have... The flour for your bread. And, but what was happening was Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. All over Israel during the harvest time, you would see one hill. You would see the fanning, the, win- the winnowing of all of the chaff going up in the air. On that hill, you would see it all over the place. And the Bible told us that Moses promised the people of Israel, said, if you would be following the precepts of God and following and walking his ways, your grape season will overlap your wheat season. All of that grain and all of that wine and all of that bread would be flowing. It was the picture of health, of the prosperity of Israel. But that was not happening and in Gideon's life he was at the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat he was afraid of the Midianites sometimes in my life in your life we can get so afraid of protecting what's ours protecting certain things that we do not want to give up certain things that maybe we have inherited certain things that we had been working hard for then all of a sudden God shows up in the middle of your mess in the middle of your wine press and he wants to call you what nobody's ever called you before he wants you to call you a mighty man of valor he wants you to call you a warrior but sometimes you don't see yourself as a warrior because you've already pre-qualified yourself saying I'm not qualified Gideon is at the bottom of the wheat. He's working so hard, doing whatever he can. Gideon is in survival mode. I want to I keep on reading the text as I give, you a, give us a little bit more context. And it says, sir, he replied in verse 13, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't he, they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Gideon has no idea that it is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, he's throwing this up. I don't know about you, but I would be, I would, I would freak out. You know what I'm talking about? If I was doing some hard work, I was focusing, I was worried what everybody was thinking. I was worried about the enemy coming to take away my grain. Or actually, I would be signaling that I was here if the enemy happened to see uh, some grain fly in the air. Somebody would, maybe a scout would see that, uh, that I see something. And he would send the camel, he would send the, a ranger, he would send the horse. And he would find Gideon and may possibly kill Gideon but all Gideon was trying to do was make a living and the Bible tells us that during these times that Gideon was trying to thresh wheat at the bottom of wine press let me give you four things that begin to happen because there are times that you and I are going to find ourselves with a wine press mentality a wine press mentality that we could find ourselves in a place of number one number one let me give you the some symptoms of being in a wine press number one a lack of vision and you can't see beyond the rubbish of your life. There's no breeze flowing. There's nothing that's happening. You know what I'm talking about? Something's happening. There's a lot of activity going on. But a lot of rubbish that's swirling around you. There's no breeze of the Holy Spirit blowing the rubbish away of your life. The chaff away of your life. And the goodness falling to your feet. And there are times that in my life and your life that you're going to lack vision. And you can't tell from the rubbish from the good stuff. Because they're all mixed together. Number one, he had a lack of vision. He lost vision. See, I love it because he was doing the best he could with the circumstances that he was given. He was doing the best that he could. 
He was working it out. And he was in survival mode. Doing the best that he could with the circumstances that were given him. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, in my notes, not in yours, says, without vision, the people perish. Or in other words, without vision, the people cast off restraint. I remember there was a time in my life when I had no vision because vision was taken away from me. Let me give you the second thing is I'll tell you is number two is a skewed perception. He says, if God was really with us, if God was really with me. Why is all this happening to me? Why is all this happening to us? A skewed perception. If the devil can get us to question the goodness of God, he can possibly deceive us into questioning the existence of God. Or all kinds of other avenues and segues. And he has a skewed perception of God. The third thing that begins to happen when we find ourselves with wine press symptoms is number three, we get a distorted self-image of our life. This is what he begins to say. The Bible begins to tell us, serve, get in replied. If this is all happened in his verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, get in replied. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is in the, the weakest in all the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. He goes even worse. Like he says, like, oh, look, look. You know Manasseh. Manasseh was referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Not the full tribe, but the half-tribe. He says, I'm from the half-tribe of... We're not even a full tribe. I'm from the half-tribe of Manasseh. I'm from the smallest family, and I'm the youngest, and I'm the smallest one in my entire family. If God, if you couldn't pick anybody better better than me, why didn't you pick me? You could have picked somebody better than me. He has a distorted self-image. Here's number four. Number four, we get trust issues. If you are truly with me, God... Trust issues. You know what? A lack of vision, a skewed perception of God, a distorted self-image, and trust issues. Can I tell you, I've been all four before. I've been all four. When I was younger, I know you're looking at me and you might be thinking, oh, he's a pastor. Oh, look at him. He's got it all together. Can I tell you? I kind of got it all together. But can I tell you, back then, I never had it all together. I grew up in a small town. I'm a small town boy. That's why I like country music. I'm a country music guy. Uh, I also like hip hop, so it makes me kind of confused. But I like it all. So I grew up in a small town of 2,000 people on the big island of Hawaii, a small town. People said it was a backwards town. People said it was a rural. It was a working class town. That's where I came from. I grew up in that town. My dad was a police officer. The big kahuna, the picture that I showed you, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a housewife. My mom worked clerical jobs. She worked really, really hard. I was the second of four kids. If there was any family that was brought up pretty good in the small town that I came from, it was my family. My mom and dad did everything that they could. They took us to church on Sundays. Although I went to church on Sunday, it was all here. It never went here. Uh, didn't make me a Christian. I can tell you that. I can tell you that I, I knew all of the religious talk. I knew all of the prayers. I could, I, could, I, could do, I could say the mass like the priest said the mass. As a matter of fact, I was an altar boy when I was a little boy. All the t- up until the time I was 13. And all my priests were good. I just want you to know they were all good. Anyway, moving right along. So during that time, I remember that when I was growing up, I always said, I can't wait to get out of this small town. So where do you go? You got to go to the big city. The big city was Honolulu, and I would have to go to the University of Hawaii. Now, being smaller for my age and graduating at an earlier age, at the age of 17, because I I excelled academically. Anyway, moving right along. And so I was 17 years old, and I went to the University of Hawaii. When you come from a small town in a sheltered life, and all of a sudden you go to the big city, 
Wow, my eyes were open. The dormitory that I was in had more than 2,000 people in the dormitory. My, my hometown was, more than, was less than 2,000 people. The classes that I stood in, that I sat in, the history classes, had over 5,000 people in one history class. I said, this is crazy. I wonder if they take, how do they take row? I thought they took row back then. Uh, I, I, I soon found out that there was no row. I ended up not even going to class. I ended up playing basketball every single day. And then finally, dun, 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 I fell in love. It was my first real girlfriend. My first real girlfriend. I like girls, no doubt about it. A lot of girls, they didn't like me because I was a little bit smaller, a little bit underdeveloped. But now here I am, 50 years old, and I go back to my classroom and I say, how you like me now? Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> And then I fell in love for the very first time. My first girlfriend, my first real girlfriend, my first real girlfriend. And like Sheryl Crow writes in the country song, the first cut is the deepest. And let me tell you, it cut deep. And I realized that I was becoming the person I never meant to be, the person I never thought I would become. I became uh, obsessed. I became possessive. I became insecure. And that's what happens when you open the package too early that you're not supposed to open called sex before marriage. And I opened it, and I opened it a lot. And let me tell you, by the time I realized that this was not going to work out, and I realized that this relationship needed to end, I remember her coming to me and says, Mike, I am pregnant. Now, I'm 19 years old now. And I've got this career ahead of me. I was in the Air Force ROTC program. I turned things around. I was going to be in the Air Force. My whole goal was to be a pilot even before Tom Cruise and Top Gun ever came, ever, ever, ever happened. I want you to know that goal was mine already. And I loved it. I wanted to do that. I remember the colonel sitting me down at ROTC at the University of Hawaii. says, Mike, you know, I heard you got a girlfriend and we know who she is. I think you should move on. I was offended by that. So I went even harder. You know what I'm talking about? I was a fool. I had no vision. I was isolated. Had no God in my life. By the time I'm 19, she's telling me that you're going to be a father. I was rocked. I said, what are my parents are going to do? What are they going to think? We came from a pretty respectable family. Did I bring shame upon my family is what I was worried about. And I remember that during that time, that some circumstances had happened. I can tell you, can I just tell you, that I went home in an American Thanksgiving weekend, and I went, and went home. And I went home with my boys, and we ended up drinking like we shouldn't have drunk. And we drank so much. And the night before I was supposed to fly back to Honolulu, I had no plans on telling my mom and dad that I was going to be a dad, that they would be grandparents before their time. I had no plans to do that. In fact, I had some other plans that I was thinking about doing. But by the time I got into that house and my friend carried me and put me on the couch, I deduced over some time of what happened because I don't remember because I blacked out during that time. I woke up in the morning to my dad's beard kissing me on my face and on my cheek saying, Mike, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I woke up with a pounding headache with a dry mouth. You know what I'm talking about? And I looked, and there was a bucket of water right next to me. I said, oh, my God, what just happened? My dad walked away. I got up. I went looking for my mom. I said, Mom, what happened? Mom, what happened? What happened last night? She said, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Not right now. I walked over and said, Dad, what happened? Dad said, Mike, just get ready. we got to go to the airport. I started trying to put everything together. I found out that I tried to pick a fight with my brother. I tried to pick a fight with my dad. Then I told them that I was going to be a father. And they were going to be grandparents. I told them. The way that I told them was the way I never wanted to tell them. I didn't even want to tell them. And I flew back to Honolulu to go back to college and realized that life was going to change. I quit school right away. I told her we're going to get married. We're going to do this right. We're going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. It didn't make things easier. But I was going to do the right thing. I quit school. I had no vision. I ended up working at a petrol station at Pizza Hut. 
Petro by day, Pizza Hut by night. Got in a fight with my, in my apron because guys made fun of my clothing uh, when I was working at Pizza Hut. Went outside to the Pizza Hut parking lot, had a fight, walked back in, waited on more tables. How funny is that? When you lost vision, you do some crazy things. And I remember going, this is my life. This is what life looks like. This is what it's going to be like. We got married, and we both didn't have God in our lives, and we both did the best thing that we could do. There's two sides to every story, but can I tell you that at the end, I stayed. By the time I was 21, she'd left. By the time I was 21, I was holding this two-year-old daughter and looking at her going, I've got to raise this girl by myself. She never wanted to come back. I'm 21 years old. Now I'm looking. I've got no future. You've never lived until your daughter pats you on the back when she's two years old and you're crying. And I realized, man, I need help. I had no God. I was suicidal. I thought about it. I could see my parents, my brothers, my sisters' faces at the funeral. And I said, I can't do it because if I did, they would all blame themselves. And this little girl, she would question her life for the rest of her life. And I didn't do it. And my friends would tell me every day, Mike, you got to come to church with us. I said, I don't want to go to church. So you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. She said, you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. She says, come on, man. You got to go to church. She says, well, tell me about, I don't want to go to church. I went to church as a kid. What does church look like? She says, well, church, we got, we got, we got music at our church. I said, okay, what kind of music you got? Well, we got drums. We got guitars. You got drums and guitars at your church. Are you serious? Yeah, we got drums and guitars. You got drums and guitars? We had an old lady with an organ. You know what I'm talking about? You got drums and guitars at your church. Yeah, we got drums and guitars. What, 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 what does the minister look like? Well, he preaches. He wears jeans and he reads from a Bible. You read from a Bible at your church? That's crazy. You guys actually open the Bible and read from it. He goes, yeah. Wow. Wow. I said, tell me what else you got. He goes, well, he began to tell me all of the things. I said, bro, you got drums at your church. You read from a Bible. Your pastor wears jeans. Bro, that's not a church. That's a cult. <laughs> he goes, no, man, you need to come. I said, I don't want to go to your church. I'm scared of your church. Brandon, week after week, would say, Mike, you want to go to church? I don't want to go to church. Finally, Brandon came to me. It was a particularly tough week that week for me. And he says, come on, Mike. If you come to church, I'll buy you breakfast. I said, I'm in. Do not ever underestimate the power of bribing someone with some bacon, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? He said, come on, we got breakfast. I'll take you out to breakfast. And I remember that morning, I got my daughter all dressed up, Sunday morning best. I overdressed for church my first time. Anybody ever go to church for the first time and you overdress because you thought that you were supposed to wear a suit and tie? You thought you were, so, I hadn't been to church in a long time. I put on a tie. I got my daughter dressed in her, her, her Shirley Temple dress. My friend Brandon picked us up and we made a 45 minute drive through the mountains of Hawaii to get to church. The church was in a cafeteria, had no air conditioning. But man, when I walked out, I could hear those drums. Those drums were making me nervous. You know what I'm talking about? I could hear it from the parking lot. Dun, dun, cha, dun, 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 cha. My heart was going, dun, dun, cha, dun, 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 cha. I got closer. I was more nervous. My daughter was with me, but everybody seemed happy. As soon as I got there, one day he said, I'll take your daughter to the children's ministry. They took her this way. They put me this way. She went, ah, I wanted to go, ah, I want to go with her. They brought me into the sanctuary. And all of a sudden, I began to look at what was worship. I used to be a karaoke singer, karaoke to some people. Uh, people used to give me a dollar to, Mike, can you sing? They used to give me a dollar to sing. Come on, somebody. I, I could sing Elton John like nobody's business. Daniel's leaving tonight on a plane. Come on. You know that song? You know that? Oh, anyway, I would sing that. People give me a dollar. I would walk into church and all of a sudden, we had no beautiful screens like this. We had an overhead projector. An overhead projector. And there was a man in the back or a girl in the back with the transparency sheet. The timing was impeccable. The timing was impeccable. Slide away the old slide, put on the other one. And I said, man, if God could ever use me to be the transparency guy, that would be absolutely amazing. I began to think to myself, I walked in, and you know what the 
worship words look like? They look like love songs to God. I never knew what worship was. That's what I called it. I said, love songs to God. Love songs to God. And I walked in, and I could literally put her name there because my heart was still, still hurting. You know what I'm talking about? And I, I was still waiting. I said, God, if there's somehow some way that you could do something. And I remember that the preacher preached, and by the time he was done, I felt like he was reading my mail. I was sitting in the second row, right about where you are, brother, right there. So no pressure, but I was sitting in the second row. And while he gave an altar call, that's what they called it. I didn't know what that meant. He said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just open your eyes and look at me and raise your hand. And I did that in 1989 at the age of 21 as a single dad of a two-year-old daughter. Can I tell you that that changed my life forever? But can I tell you my circumstances didn't really change? Can I tell you I was still in the wine press? I was doing the best I could with what I had. Can I tell you that I was working super hard on the inside? I was trying to get ahead, but God began to come into my life and change me from the inside out. God began to do a work in me, and even though the outside hadn't changed, the inside was changing. Because if the inside changes, eventually the outside will change. And God began to do something inside of me. He began to change me. He began to change my identity. Because I remember that when I was going through the toughest time, because that toughest time was another three more years, everybody. I waited for three more years. And in that three-year wait, God began to grow me. But in that three-year wait, I had to dismantle some things that I thought about myself. Some things that were told to me. Some things that the devil began to use and began to capture me with. And began to tell me that you are super unqualified. That nobody would have you. Even if she doesn't take you, you're not going to get a second chance. You damaged goods. You're a young boy, but you're really an old man. That's the thoughts that I had. That no girl is going to want to have you. That no, no Christian woman is going to want somebody that's already been where you've been before. And I remember that God began to restore me from the inside. Just like Gideon, God began to tell me. Just like Gideon, God began to say, I'm going to be with you. And just like Gideon, I was unqualified, but God began to qualify me. Gideon begins to say in verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. The rest of the text, if you get an opportunity tonight, tomorrow, go read the rest. How God begins to take Gideon and begins to put him with some other men. And God begins to raise up the original 300 that begin to defeat the, Israel, the, the Israelites' enemies. And God begins to use them. But let me give you some things before I leave, before I turn this over. of Some, some things that God had done in my life. But before I do that. I got to show you the picture of where Courtney and I, well, I'm not even, I, I still got like eight minutes. Let me tell you. Let me show you a picture of where Courtney and I was when I was 21 years old. Here's the picture. That's a boy with a baby. That's 21. 21 years old. And I remember taking that photo and I told my friend Jerry, who was a professional photographer, I said, Jerry, I just, I just want a photo. Just take some photo shots of me and Courtney. He goes, yeah, sure, I'll do it for free. I couldn't afford it. He did it for free. Because in my mind, I thought, if I don't make it, I want my daughter to have a picture of what we look like. If I don't make it, that's what we're going to look like. And she has to remember that. But let me tell you what God began to do. Let me tell you the story on how God began to rewrite this. Let me tell you what God can do. Because here's, the, here's a couple things. Here's, let me give you three things. Number one, how do you push through your wine press season? Number one, you got to see it through. Everybody say, see it through. You got to see it through. 
You got to see through the chaff. You've got to see through the rubbish. You've got to see through what you're going through and realize that God wants to do something in you and through you. That even though you can't see it right now, you got to be able to see it through. To You even got to see it through to realize that if you work hard, that if you trust God, that if you're faithful to him, that the good things begin to happen to people who begin to trust the Lord. I had to see myself through this season. I never knew that God was going to do something like this. I never knew that God would get me through it but God got me through it can I tell you that I kept my purity can I tell you that in the three years that my wife did not want to come home that my wife moved to San Francisco can I tell you for the first three years can I tell you that I kept my sexual purity I could have had opportunity after opportunity but I knew that if God was going to bless me I would have to keep this body pure number one I had to see it through you got to stay strong through it all you got to be able to fight back all of the temptations of your past. They want to pull you back into the wine press. The thing that you had decorated once before. That you found the comfortability of being there before. The place that you went back to. The old watering hole. The old place of comfort when you would self-medicate. That was my hole and I couldn't go back there. I had to see myself through. But I couldn't have done it with any, without any brothers and sisters in the Lord that helped me. I got myself into a connect group. A small group. In fellowship. And even though I was so nervous. I thought people were going to reject me because I'm going to show up with this little two-year-old girl. I remember one time they called me up, called me up and said, Mike, Kai, how are you doing? This is Hope Chapel. I said, oh, I'm doing good. What can I do for you? So we noticed that you have a young girl and that you are a single parent. I said, yes, I am. He said, we noticed that you checked off the box that you're looking for a connect group or a small group. I said, yeah, I am. He said, great. We got one. We just started for single parents, just for you, for people like you. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I might be a single parent, but I don't want to be with nobody else that's feeling sorry for themselves. I'm done feeling sorry for myself. Put me with some normal people, please. Can I get an amen? Put me with some normal people. I don't want to be in that group. I know I could have used the group the year before, but that year I didn't want that group. One, you got to see it through. Number two, you got to see it new. You got to see it from a different perspective. See that when you get out of that wine press or when you're in it, when God jumps into your wine press, he's not there to scold you He's not there to say, bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? They got that in, in Australia too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to see it new. See it new. And as time goes by, you'll look back at where you came from. And then you'll begin to say, man, it was good for me. It was good for me. I'm glad that I went through it. People ask me, Mike, would you ever redo what you, whatever's happened in your life? I said, you know what? I made my decisions and got myself into a whole lot of mess. But can I tell you that what God has done in my life, I would not want him to do anything different in my life. You've got to see it through. You've got to see it new. Can I tell you and bring you up to speed on the good things that have happened? Can I tell you that when it was finally over and I knew that it was over and when it's over it, I never thought it was over I mean I'm, it, it ain't over till the proverbial big lady comes on stage and starts singing right but I kept pushing her off the stage she was warming up on the side I'm like get off the stage because it ain't over till it's over and even then it still ain't over I biblically I held on biblically and then when it finally came down to it and I realized that it, it is definitely over 
I said, God, I'll be, I'm going to be single for one more year. I said, because I'm not ready to jump from that frying pan into that fire. So for a whole year, another year, year four, I said, okay, God, I just need you to heal my heart. Bring more healing and wholeness to Courtney. Because we need help. We need counseling. Well, a year goes by. And I start thinking, I've got this little girl. I can't be single for the rest of my life. So I said, said, Lord, if I could ever get married again, God, if you can get, ever give me another, another opportunity. God, you know I came into this. I didn't know you before. I didn't know Jesus. Lord, can you give me another chance? I said, I heard a man on the radio, Pastor Jack Hayford, say, you got to pray specifically. Don't just throw it out there. you got to pray specifically. I said, okay, I'm going to apply this specific prayer thing to my, my wife. So I said, Lord, if I can never get married again, Lord, God, God can she be five foot seven? Five foot seven. Five foot seven. Because I didn't want short kids. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't want them to struggle. I wanted tall. I, I told Lisa, I said, baby, I should have prayed that God made you 5'10". Anyway, moving right along. Five foot seven. I said, can she be, can she be gorgeous Chinese? Gorgeous Chinese. God, be specific. God, be specific. Because there's like two billion of them. So you got to be specific. God, be specific. You never know what you're going to get, right? You just got to say gorgeous Chinese. God, be specific. So I said, Lord, five foot seven, gorgeous Chinese. I really did. I'm not kidding you. I said five foot seven, gorgeous Chinese. But the most important one, I said, she got to love Jesus more than she loves me. She has to love Jesus more than she loves me. Because if she loves Jesus more than me, we'll make it through any storm. You got to see it through. You got to see it new. Number three, you got to see the good. I've been married for almost 25 years now. And I joke around every time. I say it's been the best 25 years of Lisa's life. But can I tell you, it's been the best 25 years of my life. After Courtney, God gave us two more daughters, Rebecca. Rebecca's 21. We named her after a prayer because we've been praying, God, we need a, I think we've, we need another child. And so we prayed and God answered our prayer. And Rebecca, she was an answer to prayer. If you read the book of Genesis and she brought refreshment to everybody that she met. Is that not Rebecca? Rebecca, my daughter Rebecca, she's 21 years old. She's single. If you got money and if you're a Christian, come talk to me. Uh, we'll arrange something. If you're around 25, 26. Anybody else need not apply. Um, number one, she loved Jesus. Number two, she was gorgeous. Number three, anyway. 24 years later. Uh, here we were flying home from Paul DeYoung's conference on the airplane. And you know, when you're flying home from New Zealand, you want a comfortable seat. So I went up to the ticket counter. I said, is there any chance you got any possible upgrades with my status? Is that possible? Sorry, Mr. Kai. We're all booked in business class. I said, okay, okay. I'll be right over here. If anything ever opens up, I'm right here. Yeah, kia ora, aloha. You know, <laughs> we, we related, you know, the Maori and the Hawaiians are related. So Here's a box of cookies for you, by the way. Hawaiian cookies. I always bring Hawaiian cookies with me because God opens doors with Hawaiian cookies. So I am sitting there and all of a sudden, Mr. Kai, would you please come to the podium? And I come up to the podium and she goes, Mr. Kai, we actually have two seats in business class. Would you like it? I said, is the Pope Catholic? Of course I want those seats. I want those seats. So I come back to my wife. I said, babe, we're going to lie. We're not lying flat, honey. We're not flying, but we're going to be diagonal tonight. She goes, okay, great. 
So here we are. Lisa don't care. Business class, she don't care. Lisa's hard to impress and easy to please all at the same time. So here we are in business class. I used to work for American Airlines. And guys, can I tell you that there were nights that while I was cleaning planes, cleaning seats, I'd get in the middle, open up a pocket, pull out the rubbish, put the emergency card magazine back together, move on to the next one. Cross, crisscross the the seat belts, put the pillow up, move on to the next seat. I'll do that. And there were times that when I was going through what I was going through, at 2 o'clock in the morning, nobody knew the extent of what was happening. But I'd be like almost tearing between these seats, making sure that nobody could see because I was heartbroken. And here I am, we're about to, we're in business class and I'm sitting with her and we grab hands and they bring, they bring the food. I'm like, the f- sir, would you like the chicken? Uh, I would love the chicken. Sir, we only have two options. We have chicken and beef and we're out of beef so you can have the chicken. I said, I will love the chicken. I don't care where I mean to give the chicken. So Lisa and I are eating and we grab each other's hands. And I said, honey, before we eat, let me bless the food. And I'm real casual. I'm like, baby, let me, let me bless the food. She goes, okay. And I start praying. And then all of a sudden, I can't finish. She goes, what's wrong? There's too much pepper in this chicken. There's pepper. The pepper in the chicken. I'm just kidding. She goes, what's wrong, babe? I said, honey, 23, 24, 25 years ago. This was three years ago, four years ago. I was cleaning Air New Zealand planes with a broken heart and a heavy heart. And here I am in business class with you, thanking God for the food that we're flying in business class with the wife of my life. So good. Can I tell you that God saw it through? Number two, I saw it new, but now I see the good. You know, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, God will show you that even though you never wanted to go through it, and may have been your decisions that got you there, that God can show you the good. That even though you've come out on the other side, I'm going to end with this. The Bible tells us, it says that God that God begins to do these things, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend the things that God has for those who love him. He will blow your mind when you live your life for him and you dedicate your heart to him in the name of Jesus. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.